seriously, and this is a very serious topic, my, my talk this evening is about my own conversion, my own testimony from uh, being a neo-Nazi white supremacist to uh, becoming a member of the Catholic Church. So the title you would have seen is Races with the Devil, uh, my journey from racial hatred to rational love, and as I became a US citizen a few years ago, it's now compulsory to punctuate my talk with commercial breaks. <laughs> that was the first commercial break. The title of the talk was some strange, miraculous listeners is identical to the title of my book. Race with the Devil, My Journey from Racial Hatred to Rational Love. Now, when I was uh, in the process of being instructed to be received into the Catholic Church back in the late 1980s, the priest asked me to write a paper. Now, it's very unusual as a procedure. Uh, of the instruction process to be asked to write a paper. I thought like I'm not aware of anybody else ever had to do it. I think my priest just hated me. <laughs> but uh, the reason he asked was because he knew I was a writer. In my past life, I'd edited two magazines, one of which had led me being sent to prison, which is more about later. So he knew I was a writer. So it seemed, it seemed an appropriate thing for me to do at least. So the thing was, why I want to become a Catholic. So now I find myself in this position, which I know you all found yourselves in, these students, and those who are the students now have been students, I'm sure it's most of you, sitting, looking at a blank piece of paper, or these days a blank screen, and waiting for that first sentence to come. So where's the first sentence is the hardest. Once you get going, it's easier. And then, by a gift from God, as I see it, some lines of a very, very well-known um, hymn entered my mind, which seemed perfect as the epigraph in which to begin my paper. I'm not going to sing the hymn. That's the good news. <laughs> the bad news is you will be getting the hymn by singing later in the talk. But the hymn was Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, and now I see. And those four lines are absolutely appropriate, not just because of what they said, what they say, but the fact of course they were written by John Newton, who was a slave trader from the White Past, from the White Supremacist Organization. It's singularly appropriate, so I began with that. Because what we're, going, what, what, what we're going to see, as I tell this story, is not just a case, but many cases of amazing grace entering my life. So I was raised in a secular culture and in a secular family. You might be in my youth, you might be in my somewhere. Can you still hear me? Yes. Okay. Um, so my family was nominally Anglican, uh, you know, polite families in England have their children christened. So I was baptized as an infant uh, into the Anglican Church, the Church of England. But that was it. I mean, they, my family never went to church. We never prayed. Uh, the only time we went to church at all was for, for weddings. Uh, we weren't allowed, as children, we weren't allowed to go to funerals. My children left us at home. So weddings, every time I ever went to church. No prayer life whatsoever. And then my school, and one of the reasons I'm very passionate about good, solid Christian education is I know how dangerous and bad 
specialist education is. I know that because I was the victim of it. My school, my high school back in England, uh, in the East End of London, back in the 1970s, um, Pauline Standard of Education it was summed up by the motto of the school. And imagine, not that dissimilar from this, an auditorium, a stage, a backdrop, and the school's motto. And the school's motto was this above all, to thine own self be true. William Shakespeare. Now my father always raised me to revere William Shakespeare, the greatest Englishman who ever lived. So well, uh, William Shakespeare said that, I've got to take it seriously. I thought, if nothing else from this school I'm going to, I can take that motto and have it as my own personal motto for the rest of my life. This above all, to thine own self be true. And following that motto got me into all sorts of trouble, as you will see. Because of course it's fundamentally selfish. It's fundamentally relativist. Above all else, the only thing that matters is what you think is true. Nothing else matters. So, is my, was my father wrong to revere William Shakespeare? Is William Shakespeare an idiot? Well, my school were idiots. Because what they didn't realize, apparently, was that William Shakespeare never said that. William Shakespeare wrote that. But Polonius said a character in Hamlet who is a blithering idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and that famous line comes from a famous speech that Polonius gives to his son. His son Laertes is just about to go off to college. Go to Paris to go to college, and the father being a good father said, This would be an appropriate time to give my son a pet talk, given the facts of life, the important things in life. So he tells him what he needs to know before he's going to college wear the right clothes, pick the right arguments, know when to be quiet, know when to speak up, don't lend anybody any money, don't borrow any money. And this, above all, be to thine own self be true, be true to yourself. And if you follow this, you can't go wrong. Well, by the end of the play, following this philosophy of relativism, Polonius, who is not liked, Hamlet despises him, he's a spy master, Polonius gets himself killed, <coughs> spying on Hamlet. Laertes, following his father's philosophy, comes back and pursuing his passions and his prejudices instead of objective reason, becomes a duke of the wicked king Claudius and gets himself killed and kills Hamlet in the process. And Polonius' daughter, Ophelia, is forced against her will to spy on her beloved Hamlet. Hamlet knows that she's spying on him, gets angry with her, gets into a nunnery. She is driven mad by being forced by her father to spy on her beloved. And 
perspective, I could, should be condemned. From just about any rational perspective, I could and should be condemned. But from the perspective of being true to myself, no one has the right to condemn me. As long as being true to myself, of course, is that what matters? You have your truth, I have my truth. So I joined an organization called the National Front. White supremacist organization in England, which was very popular with lots of folks in the 1970s. So that's when I joined it. Joined at the age of 15. Very young. Amongst the policies of the National Front, and I remember this basically word for word from the party's manifesto, was the compulsory repatriation of all non-whites to their lands of ethnic origin. Let's unpack that a little bit. Not voluntary repatriation of immigrants. Compulsory repatriation of all non-whites to their lands of ethnic origin. In other words, if your grandmother was from Jamaica, your third generation over here, and you would be sent back against your will to Jamaica. So that England would become an all-white country. No black faces. So I became very heavily involved in this organization. Part of the NS policies, National Trust policies, was also uh, staunch opposition to the IRA. Now, many of you are too young to remember the troubles in Northern Ireland that began in the late 1960s and ended in the late 1990s. In that 30-year period, um, nearly 4,000 people were killed in Northern Ireland out of a population of one and a half million. Now, I'm not very good at math, so I'm going to be the best
Spokesman of this group. I'm guessing I was probably about 18. I'm guessing they're only a year or two older, 19. I'm 
Within a year, the leader of that group, the one who was talking, was arrested and sentenced to life in prison for shooting dead the mother of an IRA man on her doorstep. Now, I don't think he was aiming to shoot the mother, but I think he was probably in a storage IRA area town, he was probably scared, and he shot whoever answered the door. Well, the IRA man was his mother. And if that wasn't bad enough, my racism and my involvement with the loyalist terrorists in Northern Ireland, but also involved with the neo-fascist terrorists in, in Europe. There's an organization, an Italian fascist organization called Tessa Zizioni, third position, who are alleged to have been responsible for the bombing of Bologna railway station in the north of Italy, where over 150 people were killed. And the leaders of that organization fled the country, smuggled themselves across Europe, and landed in England, and we supplied safe houses for them. I became friends with the leader of that group, someone called Roberto Fiore. Um, incidentally, by the way, he is now a member of the European Parliament. Uh, he's had some sort of conversion experience. He's now a practicing Catholic. He was a pagan when I knew him. He's married, has children, does a lot of pro-life stuff. I'm not sure what his other policies are. I don't necessarily endorse him, but uh, he's come a long way too, thanks be to God. Um, and personally, I don't think he or his group were responsible for that bomb. But I don't know, and the reason I don't know is because if you actually get involved in terrorism, the first thing you know is the need to know principle. If you don't need to know it, don't. There's a very simple reason for that. It protects you. Because if you don't know anything, you're safe. Also, of course, protects the terrorists. Because the fewer people know what they're doing, the better. So I don't know. The other thing I'm very heavily involved with at the time was the skinhead music. The skinhead movement was on the rise. In those days, the sort of youth cults were very politicized. And a lot of punk rockers were nihilists and anarchists. So a lot of punk rockers who were racists and Nazis uh, shaved their head off and ceased to be punks and became skinheads. Now, very heavily involved the skinhead music scene. Music is the right word. Um, I founded a record label called White Noise.
these guys. And, and the other side was a song called Smash the IOA. And I was guest vocalist on that as well. My part in that was Smash, Smash. <laughs> I think I missed my vocation. I'm a rock singer. Um, but then, if you move the curiosity, you put White House to run, you can hear my dulcet tones at that time. <laughs> and you must think now, surely there is something about this man that was loved. Nothing about this man. Well, you should know, I was also very anti American. <laughs> <laughs> involved in anti American demonstrations outside US air bases, Yanks go up on placards. I wasn't involved personally, but I was too busy, uh, to be honest with you, getting drunk on whiskey because it was a very cold night outside our US Air Base in Suffolk. But some of our members were fighting with members of the US Air Force in the local pub. So I don't you anti -member.
during the well, so I suppose the next question is what not changed? And how did it change? What happened between those two prison sentences? Well, I wasn't interested at all in, in religion. You'd never get me to read a book on Christianity in a million years. But I was interested in politics, obviously. And yet he used to have demonstrations on the streets that turned violent with the communists. And they would throw bricks and stones and they would fight. But they would also throw verbal abuse. And one of the things they would say is, you are just stormtroopers of capitalism. Now, my attitude was, I may despise communism, but that doesn't mean that I want the world won by Bill Gates. He wasn't around then, but whoever the 1980s equivalent of Bill Gates was. I don't want the world being won by unelected, anonymous, multinational corporations and international financiers and global corporations, and etc. But I refuse to accept that communism was the only alternative to this global globalism, whatever you want to call it. So I was interested in alternatives for that. And someone said, well, have you looked at the distributist ideas of G.K. Chesterton? No, who is he? Well, I said, you need to read one essay by Chesterton. And it's in a book called The Well of the Shadows. Sure, okay. So I got this book. And the essay was two-thirds of the way through the book. But the rest of the book was defense Catholic Church. But I hate it. But I read it. Well, you know, if one essay is worth it, let's start from page one and see what this man Chesterton has to say. Now, I'm certainly not saying I was converted overnight. I wasn't, by any means. Not for some time. But I couldn't help liking Chesterton. Couldn't help liking his sense of humor, the way he, he discussed things. Uh, his, Something about Chesterton that you feel as if you're in the room with him. Almost becomes a friend. So I wanted to read more of Chesterton. And this was, of course, the beginning of dangerous things. Now, C.S. Lewis says in his book, Surprised by Joy, a sound atheist cannot be too careful of his reading. <laughs> and a sound racist cannot be too careful of his reading either. And then, so I'm looking for my books on Chesterton. Chesterton was out of fashion at the time. He could pick up Chesterton books for 20 pence. Um, falling through this second half bookshop in London, looking for some Chesterton. My eyes come across this book on the shelf. It seems to be calling me. Surprised by Joy by C.S. Lewis. I'd heard of C.S. Lewis, but I'd never read any C.S. Lewis. I know much about him. Probably had heard a line of Richard Warburg, the children's book, but never read it. Who was it? But something prompted me to take that book from the shelf. And I used to think there was an index in that book. I, used to, I said I used to look up the word Chesterton most of it at that page, but someone pointed out to me quite correctly there is no index. I'm surprised by Joe. That makes it even more marvelous. Because what I obviously did took this book off by this unknown writer, sort of called to me to the shelf, opened it at random, saw the magic word, Chesterton. Oh, Lewis. I know that Chesterton. 
meeting personally, the first time Lewis ever read Chesterton. It was during World War I. C.S. Lewis is in the trenches in the British Army. And he comes across his book of Chesterton Essays. And he's an atheist. Lewis is an atheist at this time. And he picks up Chesterton. And when he writes about Chesterton, first reading Chesterton, you know, he couldn't help liking him, loved the sense of humor. And Chesterton had more, he wrote, Chesterton had more common sense than all the moderns put together. Except, of course, his Christianity. Right? Yes! That's it! I agree with this C.S. Lewis chap. Chesterton was great, except his Christianity. So I'm not surprised by joy. <laughs> Which is, of course, C.S. Lewis's conversion story. <laughs> but I read it. So, from Chesterton to Lewis, No, no. 
increased snow grows the wheat beets. Every day is the 12th of July. 12th of July is a Protestant thing in Northern Ireland. Celebrate that victory of Protestants against the Catholics 300 years ago. But the nuns and the priests and the rosary beats. Here I am. But I wanted to say the rosary. If you want to throw it away, I want to say it. Never prayed in my life. But it's a problem. Because I didn't know the creed. I didn't know the Hail Mary. I didn't know the glory be. And I had been taught the Our Father when I was about that high. And long since forgotten it. But how do I not say the rosary? Pray the rosary. But what I did was I fumbled the bead and mumbled his articulate prayers. And what began to happen was miraculous. Answers started to flood in. Healing started to flood in. I began to go to Mass for the first time in prison. When I got out of prison, I knew I had to make a clean break from my past. I'm now 25. I've been involved in politics since I was 15. So I left London. Left all my friends, didn't know anybody who was in the party. Started building new life in a different part of England. I was received in the Catholic Church. Oh, you must be going to buy all. Received in the Catholic Church um, in 1989, on St. Joseph's Day in 1989. And you would have gathered already that I'm not one who's lost for words. Lost for singing to us, maybe, not lost for words. And I was on, I didn't know the priest secretly had arranged for the ladies of the parish to bake a cake and to the party after the Mass. And I wanted to, to, uh, to say a speech, make a speech. The first, so far, openly time in my life,
said, well, Twitter censors made front page headlines. You couldn't, you couldn't drive the freeways in, in, in England through my prison sentences for any more than five miles without seeing three Joe Pierce uh, written above the freeway. I got, yeah, anyway, I can't talk about being like notorious. So I thought I can't possibly, no one's going to write a publisher book in my name. So I decided so I have to use a phenomenal pseudonym. So I decided the name Robert Williamson. Why is that? Well, it's another song. Sorry. Because the lawyer this song, an orange man, becomes a captain. Here am I, an orange man, becomes a captain. In the county too, near the town of Dungan, where many a rush and myself had a hand. Bob Williamson lived there, a weaver by trade. And all of us fought him at the stout orange blade. But the cunning young crew boy sure took us all in, and he married a papish called Bridget McGinn. Turned papish himself and forsook the old cause, but gave us our freedom, religion, and laws. Now the boys of the town, they made some noise at Connacht, and Bob had to fly to the province of Connacht. So it goes on. Bob Williamson, the orange man who marries a papist for Bridget again in the county Toronto, in the town of Dungannon, who becomes a captain. Well, I um, didn't marry Bridget again, but I was the orange man to become a captain. So I was Bob Williamson, that was the name I was going to use. My first book. After we had a cat, it was the biography of Chesterton. And that book, I always say, was an act of thanksgiving. An act of thanksgiving to Chesterton for giving me God. An act of thanksgiving to God for giving me Chesterton. And finally, using postscript to show that God has a sense of humor. Years ago, he said, Thank you. 
And I just want to finish as I began. Amazing grace.